I'm going to take a quick moment and pray for Florida and everything that went on down there. We don't know why incidents like that happen. God doesn't tell us in his scriptures. We don't know. God doesn't say, you know, here's the reason. But he does provide a solution, a solution to evil, and that's Christ Jesus. And we're all about sharing Christ here. Let me just take a moment and pray for, for that tragedy. Father God, uh, we lift up Orlando before you. We lift up all those victims who were at the nightclub. That must have been a terrifying moment, God. But we know that you were there. We know that you can use this tragedy, this senseless act of violence, to bring about good in some way. We pray that you would. We pray that you would comfort the families of those that died. We pray for those that are still healing and hurting, that you would comfort them. Would more people come to know you as their Lord and Savior through this? And would you give us wisdom as we care for those that are hurt by tragedies like this? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today we're talking about uh, the Tower of Babel. So we just read that story. And it's really a story of people doing things their way instead of God's way. Now, I was thinking back through history of maybe some notable people that are famous for doing life their way instead of God's way. And one popped into mind uh, named Napoleon Bonaparte. All right, here is a picture of Napoleon uh, riding his uh, stallion through the Alps. Uh, this was actually a propaganda painting. Uh, there's a, another painting that's been done that says what he probably really looked like, and it's Napoleon shivering on his horse as they're riding through the Alps. So Napoleon came to might during the, the French Revolution. He was uh, a strategist. He was brilliant. He was uh, very smart. He was charismatic. Not only was he cunning on the battlefield, but he was also cunning in politics. And at the height of his success, he ruled over all of continental Europe. He won about 60 battles and lost only about seven, all towards the end of his military campaign. And he's famous for crowning himself the emperor of France. So maybe some of you know of this event where uh, normally the Pope would crown the king of France, kind of saying the Pope submits to God's authority. And what Bonaparte did at his coronation is he took the crown from the Pope and placed it on his own head. See, Napoleon was used to lifting himself up, to doing things his way, to ignoring God's way. One of the most famous events that kind of led to his downfall was the invasion of Russia. He invaded Russia with about 680,000 soldiers. So that's quite a few soldiers, but he quickly encountered a retreating Russian army and the bitter cold Russian winter. And he was warned, don't do it, don't attack Russia, don't enter into that harsh environment, but he didn't listen. He did it his way. 
And although 680,000 soldiers went into Russia, only 27,000 soldiers survived. It was a massacre because of the winter. See, Napoleon did it his way, and it leads to disaster. We're not, we're not looking at a story of just one man doing it his way. We're looking at a story of all people, all men, all women, choosing to do it their way instead of God's way. And it leads to disaster. Now, we're going to apply this as we uh, go through the story to ourselves, and that's really where my first point begins, that doing life my way leads to disaster. We're looking at the first four verses of Genesis chapter 11, where they, they, they settle in a plain, and then they, they make bricks and begin to build this city and this tower So the question here is, how can you tell that they're doing it their way instead of God's way? And as this applies to us, how can we tell? How can you and I tell if we're doing it our way instead of God's way? Well, I think this story gives us three marks or three signs that we're choosing to do life our way instead of God's way. The first sign is pride. If you're filled with pride, if everything's about you, if you have this enormous ego, chances are you're doing it your way instead of God's way. See, these people, they were filled with pride for a new technology. Now, when you and I think of new technologies, we think of like our iPads or our iPhones and the cool apps that are coming out. But when they thought of new technology, they thought the brick. (laughs) I love that. See, many people lived in... uh, kind of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and this is a mountain region where there's lots of stones, and so they would build, uh, you know, homes and and cities with stones, but it says the whole earth, so all the people of the time migrated to the east, which is uh, ancient Mesopotamia or modern-day Iraq, and it doesn't have as many mountains, it's not as stony, and so they had to create a new building material to build their cities, and so they invented the brick. And funny enough, the brick is actually much worse than the stone. The stone is a stronger building tool. The brick is just baked clay, and they, and they, they took these, these baked bricks, and they put them together using tar uh, and asphalt. You can imagine this city that they were building was an incredibly ugly city, just covered with asphalt and bricks. But that doesn't matter because it's theirs, it's, it's, it's their pride, it's their joy. They're doing it their way, and so they're going to cling to it because they're making a name for themselves. It says they wanted to, to make their names famous. It's funny, when we focus on ourselves and we focus on making ourselves famous, bringing ourselves pride and ego, usually the result is the exact opposite, and that's the case For the people of the story. See, if you look at verse 9, it says that God, that that they did make a name for themselves. In fact, God named them. He named them Babel, which is a Hebrew play on words for the word Belel, which means to confuse, to mix. Imagine like a big pot full of like fish stew or some other stew. That's kind of the idea that, that God wants us to have, a, have an image of, that their, their language was just confused, and it wasn't a good-tasting dish. It was gross. It caused friction and turmoil and strife. 
See, when our focus is our pride, instead of becoming a hero, we become babbling messes, full of confusion. Did you know that you can, you can have pride, you can, you can have incredible self-esteem, self-worth, that's kind of a, a rebranding of the word pride, and you can still be absolutely terrible at math. This describes pretty much me. I'm, <laughs> I have some pride, and I am terrible at math. In a recent study, American fourth graders, uh, they scored pretty high on the self-esteem chart. But they only scored slightly better than average when it came to their math scores. So what they thought about themselves was much better than how they actually performed. But if you compare this uh, kind of the same survey to Hong Kong, Those that have high self-esteem about math do incredibly well. It's based on reality. And those even with low self-esteem do about how we do in math. (laughs) You can see where this will lead if the pattern keeps on going. We as a nation will keep getting more prideful and prideful and prideful. And we'll have great self-esteem, but we will be terrible at math. Pride leads to disaster. Pride is a sign of doing it my way instead of God's way. The second mark or sign is disobedience. Now, I don't think the story is purely about pride. I think it's also about obedience. Do you guys remember Genesis chapter 1, one of the first commands that God gave to the very first people in the world? He said, be fruitful. Multiply and fill the earth. In other words, scatter. Go out into the earth and fill it. And then the flood came, wiping out almost all of humanity. But then once again, God gives the same command in Genesis chapter 9. He says, Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. So he's saying, Scatter, go out. It's good for you to make cities, but make it throughout my world, throughout my creation. What do do everyone do? They say, no, we're going to do it our way. We're going to do it my way. We're going to get together, and we're going to make this one big city in a plain. See, if they had obeyed God, they would have been able to skip out on the disaster that came. But they didn't. They disobeyed, and it leads to a literal ruin of a city, a ruin of this epic tower that they're trying to build. Disobedience leads to disaster. The story of Al and Ray is a story of disobedience leading to disaster. Al and Ray were brand new scuba divers. They were 35 and 19. One was a father and the other was a student. And they had just gotten certified to swim alone, to to scuba dive by themselves. But there's various levels of certification and you need to get a certain level to scuba dive in caves. And where they were scuba diving, there was a cave system next to them. And the instructor said, don't go into the cave. It's dangerous. Don't enter it. It could lead to your death. But they were competitive, and so they kind of egged each other on. And after they were done with their certification, they swam into the entrance of the cave. And in a cave system, you can't see. The instructors didn't give them lights because they didn't want them to go into the cave, and they couldn't see. And they got turned around, and they both perished. They both died. Disobedience leads to disaster. 
In our life, what are the exciting things, the enticing things that we want to do that we are just, man, if we can just do that thing, it'll be a fun experience. I'll have lots of enjoyment. It'll be totally worth it. I'm going to ignore the things God says about this or, or uh, those that care about me, what they say about it. I'm going to do it my way. God says these things can lead to our demise spiritually. As we disobey God, God says, okay, it's never too late to turn around and to, to trust me, to ask me for forgiveness, but don't do it. Don't disobey, trust me. Now, the third sign is, uh, is an interesting one. So we have pride, disobedience, and idolatry. These are three signs of doing it my way instead of God's way. Now, idolatry is not a word that we hear very often in our culture, in our context, but it, it means false worship. We're worshiping false gods instead of the one true God. And what they were doing with this tower is building a kind of a false temple to worship God in. Now, most historians think that, that the, the tower that they were building, it was called a ziggurat. So I'm going to put up a picture of a ziggurat on the screen so you can kind of see what it looks like. A ziggurat was really a religious center. There are seven levels to a ziggurat, and the idea is that God will step down onto the very top, and then each, uh, each level right after that, the seven levels, acts as a step. So as I'm walking down, it's like God is coming down to the earth, and then he can go back up. And so it was a way for people to really control God. If they built this thing, they expected God to come to them on their terms. They're taking control of God. They're creating the God that they want to believe in, not the God who's true. And man, why not? I mean, it seems like this, this, this tower could do a lot of good. It, it was huge. This next picture shows in comparison, uh, so the ziggurat's on the left, then you have it uh, in comparison to the Great Pyramid. It's about two-thirds the size of it. And it's almost the, the length of a football field. So it was 300 feet uh, in diameter and 300 feet tall. It wasn't a cube, but it had the different levels. Now, I have never seen the Monadnock building in Chicago, but apparently that is the tallest brick structure in the world, and that is roughly 200 feet. So add another 100 feet onto this next picture. So this is a picture of the Monadnock. Add another 100 feet onto that, and you have a, an idea of the size of this structure that they were building. It's huge. Imagine that in a plane or just surrounded by a small city and then this massive, massive religious center. See, they were building a false religion. They were building their system to control God. And God says, I will have none of that. See, when we can try to control God and say, God, I'm going to do life my way, who are we saying God is? We're saying, I am God. I'm the one who, who uh, rules my destiny. I'm the one who should rule the universe. I'm God and I know best, but God says no. It's easy to do things my way, but in the long run, it always leads downhill. Maybe you're doing something that you know, you know what, I shouldn't be doing it this way. This is my way. Maybe my friends or neighbors or, or culture at large says it's a good way, but you know, uh, this is not God's way. But you're unwilling to change. Well, because your reputation is at stake. What will people think of you if you stop doing that thing? What will your coworkers think of you if you come clean about that way that you're doing your job that isn't quite right? 
How about for those of us that are married? If you say you're sorry to your spouse, will your spouse say, ah, I told you so? God wants us to humble ourselves. See, when we, when we live this way, when we put our pride first, when we disobey, when we don't choose to worship God on his terms, we're doing life my way. And that leads to disaster. And really, it's like saying, you know what, I'm going to climb up into heaven on my own terms. I'm going to earn my own salvation. I am going to get to heaven doing life, the little steps, the little ways that I want to do them instead of God. But Christianity is not this message. Christianity is completely opposite. Christianity is a God who who can't be controlled by us and yet loves us so much that he does come down out of heaven to rescue us from our pride, from our disobedience, and from our idolatry. This is the message of Jesus Christ and that we can be forgiven for all these ways that we blow it, for all the ways that we walk my way instead of God's way. All God asks is that you confess and you trust and believe. This is good news. Good news is the word gospel. Doing life my way leads to disaster, but ultimately it's not just a, well, don't do that because it's a bad thing. God is saying, well, do it a different way because there's a different way that's much better. See, we can do life God's way, and God's way is is wonderful. It's fantastic, and it leads to goodness. This leads us to our next point. Doing life God's way leads to good. God shows us another path another route. God's way gives us three kind of opposite signs, opposite marks of doing it my own way, and they all lead to God's goodness. The first one is humility. That's the opposite of pride. Now, how do we get humility? Well, when we recognize just how great our God is, it reminds us that we are indeed small, and it helps us honor God. Now, they have built a huge ziggurat, 300 feet tall. I mean, that's a, that's a big tower. And what does it say in the text? It says in verse 5, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. See, in God's perspective, this tower is so tiny, he is to crouch down like a tiny child looking at a small little bug. There's the tower. okay. I can see it, but that's how big God is in comparison to what we make, to what we think of ourselves. Who cares if we have a million followers on social media? Who cares if we're making a name for ourselves online or in the newspaper? God is so much bigger. And even our reality of God, we don't actually want to think about God as just a really, really big human who can kind of hold the universe in his hands. He, he gives us a picture of himself like that, and so that's not wrong. But God isn't just a big version of us. He's, he's out of our reality. He's out of time. He's so different from us, and yet he relates to us in ways that we can understand. And when we stop to think about that, it, it gives us a sense of humility. So we remember, God is great. I am tiny, and so let's make life about God. Let's make our purpose about praising him, about bringing him honor and fame. Several years ago, when I worked in McLean, Virginia, I I, I did a lot of traveling, and I was trying not to watch TV, and so I wrote a book, and I wrote a Christian inspirational book about myself, (laughs) Because I figured the best way to inspire people is to tell them about myself. 
Now, if that sounds a little egotistical, I think that's a fair assessment. Now, when I, when I, so I wrote several drafts, and when I tried to get it published, I quickly learned that people were more interested in learning about God than they were about Jonathan Romig and his life story. To be fair, it was just a really, really long, drawn-out faith story. But God wants us to, to concern ourselves with bringing him fame, to think about him and how great and how wonderful he is instead of how great and how awesome we are. I recently did one of those personality profiles, and, they, and one of the, the results was being an achiever. See, it's in my nature to try to make life about me. It's in my nature to make preaching or ministry about me. And so God has to humble me and remind me, no, this isn't about you. This is about my son. This is about Christ Jesus. He's the one who's high and lifted up on a cross. Do you really want to be high and lifted up on a cross when Christ did that for you? Humble ourselves before our God because he is good and he is the only one who deserves to be honored. And the cool thing is is that God God promises to exalt the humble, to lift those up that, that humble themselves before God. Don't you want that reward instead of all the other temptations and desires that this life gives us? I want to be lifted up. I want to be exalted. I want to be honored by God, not by men. Doing life my way, doing life my way leads to disaster, but doing life God's way leads to something wonderful. Now, the second sign of doing life God's way is obedience. Now, this kind of seems like a, a no-duh kind of statement, but I think we need to focus on it for a little bit. So the opposite of kind of Gathering together and building the city would have been to scatter and to fill the earth and to multiply and to have wonderful lives and families. And yet they chose to do it their own way instead of God's way. Now, in in verse 6, it says, But the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Now, that's kind of an interesting statement, but in order to understand it, we need to really understand the word begun. The word begun in the Hebrew has, has some other translations and it has some nuances that mean to desecrate or to profane. I would not have noticed that if the Hebrew and my, my preaching team helped me see that in the morning. See, the people were getting get together to dishonor God, to do evil, to, to desecrate God's name. They want to make a name for themselves, and it's not a good name. It's a name that uh, is like Lamech. We read about him a couple weeks ago where he kind of exalted in his evilness. That's what the people are doing here. They are exalting in their rebellion against God. See, we get a picture of of the Tower of Babel and the things that were going on in this city throughout the rest of the Old Testament. What are the evil things we see in the rest of the Old Testament? We see people worshiping false gods, bowing down to false idols. We see child sacrifice. We see prostitution. These are the things that would have marked this city. See, God was having mercy on this city by scattering them by sending them out so that they wouldn't be uh, dwelling in their evilness. 
In the garden, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they broke creation. And this city was founded to further the brokenness of creation. This was an evil place. God isn't against cities. God loves the city. He wants to redeem the city. But they were doing it their way. They weren't doing it God's way. If the people had filled the earth as God had commanded, they would have avoided this misery. And notice that the people end up scattering and obeying God, not because they wanted to, but because they have to. What's one way this week you can show God you're more interested in doing it your way, or his way, than your way? What's one way you can obey God this week? Now, each of you has a, a different life, a different story, so hopefully the, the Holy Spirit will convict your heart for this. But there's some places that we can start to think about this. How about with my, my family members, my brothers and sisters? What's one way that I can go out of my way to show them the love of God, the kindness of the Father? How about a coworker? How can I, how can I be thinking about what I can do to share Christ with them, or if they're mistreating me, how can I honor them? How can I humble myself and trust in God? I know this one's probably a, a pretty tough one, but how can I show obedience to God on my daily commute <laughs> instead of cutting off the other drivers? How can I just seek to honor God as I go about my day? I need to uh, take a, a reminder there as well. Maybe it's your family. You need to be reminded to take uh, more family time and, 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 and tra uh, take some family time instead of me time or work time. Oftentimes when I, uh, when I don't feel like focusing on anyone but myself, God calls me to focus either on my family or, or uh, a, a situation. I pray to God. I say, God... This isn't the first thing I wanted to do, but I know it's the better thing, and so I'm going to go do this thing. And when I come back to my original work that I'm supposed to be focusing on, would you redeem the time? Would I get even more done in a shorter period? Because right now I'm choosing to stop it and do something else that you're calling me to. I'm, I'm choosing to do it your way instead of my way. And so when I come back to those tasks, would you help me? Would you help me? And that's a simple prayer that we can pray to ask God to help us do it his way. How about when it comes to worshiping God? To say, God, uh, when it comes to my week, I'm going to try to make sure that I prioritize time together with you and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ regularly. And that doesn't mean that every week God gives us grace, but every week, hopefully, or most weeks, we're coming and we're gathering as brothers and sisters in Christ at Cornerstone, and we're worshiping God together. That is one simple way that if you're here tonight, you are saying, I am going to do things God's way instead of my own way. So congratulations. This is great that you're here. But let's make that a pattern in our lives of doing things God's way over and over and over again. This leads us to the third point uh, of a sign of doing life God's way, and that is worship. So the opposite of idolatry is worship of God. We praise God when we see how good and how great he is. Now, by scattering the people, God is uh, confusing their language. He's preventing them from doing more evil. And I want to put some Hebrew words on the screen for you to, to see, and maybe we'll pronounce them, probably not. But uh, here's two Hebrew 
words. Uh, so the word on the left is the word halal. No, now I'm not going to make you repeat that after me, but it, uh, it means uh, to profane. And it's actually that same word beginning, but it's in the Hebrew. Now look at the, at the right word. It's the word halal. Now, all together, let's say hallelujah on three. One, two, three. Hallelujah. See, it comes from this Hebrew verb, which means to praise. Notice how similar halal and halal are. It's just a different letter uh, in the alphabet. It's a chet versus a hey for that first one. See how easy it is to change from profaning God's name, from, from attacking, from complaining against God to, to, uh, to praising him. We can shift back and forth very unintentionally without even knowing it. See, God is calling us not to profane his name, but to honor him, to worship him, to bring him fame, to turn our profanity into praise of God. And you know what? God's worth it because he's good, he's kind, he's loving, he's merciful, he's just. And if you have a hard time remembering God's goodness, well, then just stop. If, you, if, you have a, if, if your tendency is to complain or to to wonder about God, to doubt, then to stop and think about all the good that God has given us, that he has done for us. I was thinking about Cornerstone, this church. We're a new church. We just started in October. That is an act of God's grace. That is an act of God's goodness. We just launched a weekly service. Uh, There was a church here that, that died, that went away, and God started a new work. This is God's goodness on us. Let's praise him. Let's worship him for it. One of the other benefits we have as a new church is that we have a mother church. That means that we have a church that started us in Chelmsford, the next town over. They have invested over $100,000 in getting Cornerstone off the ground. Praise God. God is amazing. God gave us uh, a pastor. He gave us ministry teams. He gave us people who are working together to to get the message out to Westford, to worship God here at the service. Praise God for what he's doing right here in this building and what he's doing out there in Westford. Maybe you uh, need to stop and think about your own life. Well, maybe go home and, and get a journal and write down all the different praise items that you have. That you can say, God, I praise you because you have given me a cute house. You have given me a cute wife. You have given me decent-looking friends. I praise you. God is honored when we stop and we lift up our minds to him and we say, Wow, God, look at all that you have done for me. I don't deserve it. It's all an act of your kindness. Thank you. That's a way that we can worship God instead of committing idolatry. And worship of God leads to goodness. Doing life God's way It leads to good. Now, ultimately, the Tower of Babel teaches us this, that God's ways are higher. God's ways are higher. And that's the the kind of the big idea of the message. You can write that in your bulletin insert at the bottom. God's ways are higher. Now, we've been reading through Genesis. We're doing that this summer. 
In the book of Genesis, we watched a video last week that you can find on the website, but it really introduced how the book of Genesis is structured. The first 11 chapters are really about the creation of the world and the fall of people into sin, and it just kind of magnifies what people will do if left to their own devices, that we just get worse and worse and worse. And kind of the, the, the end of that story, the, the, kind of the big moment is the Tower of Babel, where all the people in the world get together and begin to do evil. But next week, Genesis chapter 12, there's hope. A new story begins. A story of God rescuing his people through a person. Through Abram, who he changes his name to Abraham, and it's through the great, 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 great descendant, keep on going, of Abraham that we get Jesus. Remember Genesis chapter 3, verse 15? It was called the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel that said uh, that one day a, uh, a descendant, an offspring of Eve will crush the serpent. The serpent tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, and we gave in to sin. And God comes along and he judges people. But then he says, well, hold on. One day I'm going to send a descendant. I'm going to send a Savior who will absolutely destroy the serpent. It's through Abraham that we get that Savior, and the Savior is Christ Jesus. So Christ comes, he lives, and he dies, and then he rises again. And suddenly we have a new beginning. We have a new Genesis. The gospel is really a new beginning story. And right as this new story begins, there is a similar event to the Tower of Babel. There is the Tower of Babel 2.0 or the Tower of Babel reversed. And it happens in Acts chapter 2 where God gathers all those who believe in Jesus. God gathers uh, the early church. I don't know if it's everyone, but he gathers a great majority of them. And what do they do? The Holy Spirit, so God himself, comes down among them. He fills them with his presence and they begin to speak every tongue Well, I don't know if it's every tongue, but they begin to speak a multitude of languages. And the people all around them hear them in their their own languages, and they're just speaking God's praises. See, God is reversing Babel. Acts chapter 2, let's read it together. I'll I'll, I'll read it. 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. See, Pentecost... The early church, the founding of the early church was marked by people speaking in these multitude of languages because they had an important message to carry, not a message of pride or disobedience or I'm doing life my way, but a message of the king has come. God has stepped down from heaven and he has come to rescue us through the person of Christ Jesus. And if you believe in Jesus... God promises that he will wipe your slate clean. He will forgive you of all of your sins. And when you die, God will carry you back up those stairs into heaven to be with Jesus until the second return of Christ. This is absolutely good news. See, God reverses the Tower of Babel with his early church, and God promises that one day, one day soon, when Jesus comes back, he will kind of complete the reversal Here's a picture in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, of what it will look like when Jesus returns. Revelation 7, 9 through 10 says this. After this I looked, 
And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, our God promises that one day every every people group, every language will be present with God and they will be singing God's praises. See, this was God's plan. God's plan wasn't for a city in this world, but a city in the renewed world. In the book of Revelation, God describes eternity as a new heaven and a new earth. And there's this city called the New Jerusalem. And in that city, God will be with us. And will speak a multitude of languages, worshiping God and praising him. I think we'll have all of eternity to learn every single language. That's my personal theory. We'll, we'll see. See, if we trust in God, if we seek to do life God's way instead of our own, the reward is amazing. The reward is far beautiful than anything you and I can have in this life. It's unimaginable. It's wonderful. We'll speak every language not out of defiance, but out of praise. God's ways are higher. But we can only obey God. We can only have true humility. We can only honestly worship God through Christ Jesus. See, if your takeaway from this message is to go out and try to work harder and to please other people, just like Jenny Pelletier's faith story, then you've missed the point. Because we need a relationship with Jesus that changes us from the inside out, that gives us humility, that gives us, as, God's, as an act of God's grace, that gives us uh, the desire to worship and to obey. And I want us to close with the story of Jesus and what he did for us. You guys remember the Garden of Gethsemane, another garden just like the beginning of Genesis? Well, Jesus was in this garden, and what was he doing? He was praying. And he was praying and he was utterly distraught. Matthew says he fell on his face and prayed. If we had been there in that moment, if we had heard Jesus, I don't think it would have been this this clear speech. I think it would have been a babbling mess that Jesus became distraught and praying to God for us, for himself. God, take this cup from me. I don't want to, but I want to do your will. See, Jesus became a babbling mess for you and me. So as we walk through our life and we go through times of confusion, we can remember that Christ has been there too. And if you believe in Jesus, Jesus says, I'm going to take my perfection because when I walked through life, I was perfect. I always honored God. I'm going to take all that and I'm going to give it to you. See, Jesus trades his humility, his perfect humility for our pride. Jesus trades his perfect obedience of the Father for our everyday disobedience of God. Jesus trades his perfect worship of the Father. I think that's his perfect relationship with God. He trades that to us. He gives that to us, and he takes our idolatry. He takes the ways that we dishonor God, that we set up false gods in our lives. See, this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus please come talk to me afterwards and we can get this exchange started. God's ways are higher. 
Are you a babbling mess? Christ can make you whole. God's ways are higher. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for speaking through your word, speaking through me. I pray that everyone heard what you want them to hear, Lord. I pray that our hearts would uh, be turned to you as we fellowship together afterwards. And as we go through our week, would we be changed by Jesus? I pray for the offering. Would you bless it? Would you multiply it? Would you provide for all of our needs? And will we use these funds wisely? In Jesus' name, amen.